WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. If it's Monday night, it's got to be Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi. So thanks for having me on. Kevin, good for you to hold back and let him tell his story. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. You guys are the center of the universe today. At least the political universe. I believe both of you are, are from the area. Marshfield guys, yes, no? Correct, yeah. That's right. There's only one person not from Marshfield in this room right now. And it's you. It's me. <laughs> I'm the outcast. Well, you've always been generous with the time. I appreciate it very much. Well, I'm honored to be on your show tonight, Kevin, with that impressive lineup you have. I believe our guest that we've been waiting for, Congressman Stephen Lynch. Kevin, good to join you. The governor of the Commonwealth, very Charlie good. Baker. You ready? i got to tell you that uh, it was really nice to hear Aerosmith on the intro there. You're going to be the rock and roll governor? I don't know about that. But <laughs> we have Mayor Joe Sullivan joining us, sir. How are you? Well, Kevin, very good to be with you again. Dr. Drew Pinsky. Dr. Drew, are you there? I'm here. Thanks for having me. Mr. Ming Tsai, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Massachusetts State Auditor Suzanne Bump. Hello, Auditor. How are you? I am fine, and I'm delighted to be with you this evening. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. A rainy, wet evening. Hopefully, you're safe and dry and You have your uh, transistor radio set to 95.9 WATD because it is that uh, powerless kind of evening. But fear not, we will keep you entertained and well-informed here on Monday Night Talk. Uh, We have a great lineup, as always, knowing that it is the the eve. Uh, We got one show uh, next week. We'll have a Christmas special show, and then uh, we usually do um, an even a better show, which is is that I do a, a replay of our award-winning show that we did at the Pilgrim Memorial Hall. But uh, tonight's lineup, we start things off with Brockton Mayor Robert Sullivan will join us. We get a little bit of an insight as to how things are going, maybe even see how uh, the City of Champions has fared with this, uh, this windy, wet day, uh, followed by another Brocktonian. We have uh, Dave Wedge. New York Times uh, best-selling author, who's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, his new book project, as he is writing a book about uh, the late world champion, middleweight champion, marvelous Marvin Hagler. Uh, is he going to write a book? Well, I, I can't wait because I, I grew up in that era. So, as did Dave. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Our number two. We will speak with Dr. Tom Hickey. I believe he may have a guest. He might bring someone with him. Fear not, though, as we're going to talk a little bit about they got a building project. They are uh, going to the nine different communities that they serve, and they're talking about how what they're going to are they going to build a new school? Is it going to be a bigger school, a smaller school? We'll talk with Tom about that, and in regards to the South Shore Technical High School in Hanover, and then we close things out on a legal note. We have Chris Diorio who chats with us from time to time, and we'll get his take on the Karen Reed case and where it stands right now, which is a little bit of news as of late. Plus, he's going to tell us about uh, his fourth run uh, of the Boston Marathon coming next spring. So that's all It's all going to be taking place tonight between uh, now and 8 p.m., but allow me to welcome in the 50th mayor of the City of Champions, is none other than uh, Brockton Mayor Robert Sullivan. Mayor, welcome back to Monday Night Talk, the uh, uh, official co-host of Monday Night Talk. I, I st- we still have to do a presentation one of these days, Mayor, but you are the official co-host of Monday Night Talk. Well, Kevin, I, I, I really love that uh, idea of, of me coming in studio in the near future. First of all, good evening and happy holidays. And uh, again, thanks for always having me on. It's always uh, We always have a great conversation and uh, 
again, uh, on behalf of my city, uh, my city of champions, I wish everybody uh, a happy uh, holiday season and a really happy new year. We're going to be uh, getting into it real soon. How uh, how has today been? I know uh, around the region, uh, depending on where you are, there's been a lot of power outages, downed limbs, trees. How has Brockton fared during the storm? Yeah, I mean, it's been a really difficult storm to address. Um, you know, we definitely have power outages uh, throughout the day. Uh, it started this morning. We, we had 800 houses, and, you know, it just uh, escalates. And National Grid has been a wonderful partner. But because of the high winds, they really can't, you know, get up in the bucket trucks right now to fix some of the power. Uh, so, you know, we, we actually have a liaison um, in Brockton. So he is giving uh, DPW Commissioner Pat Hill an update. But, you know, it's ongoing. Uh, the restoration efforts, they understand how important it is to get people back up and running. But uh, they have to be safe first. So, you know, it, it's an ongoing. It's kind of a weird storm. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they're addressing it. And, and the city is updating on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, we hope for the best. And in and, and due time, we'll hopefully get uh, 100% uh, back in terms of restored power. I have to ask you, is the mindset, you know, again, uh, you know, being the mayor, you know, the thing you look at your storm like this, do you kind of, do you say a little prayer because if this was snow, who knows what the damage could have been and how much snow we would have received from the storm? And, and knowing yeah, that... I mean, as the, as, as, yeah, you're 100% right. As the mayor, um, yeah, I mean, when it's snow... Uh, first of all, it would be a lot more uh, damage in terms of power outages and down trees, although we have lost some limbs throughout the city. We had a closed DW still park today because we have some trees down as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it is a weird storm. It's, it's, you know, high wind. We've had some heavy rain at times. But uh, it would be a lot worse and probably borderline uh, blizzard-like conditions. So I'm thankful for that. Uh, my kids probably would want it to be snow uh, to have a white Christmas, but nonetheless, uh, we're dealing with the weather uh, as uh, as Mother Nature presented it to us. Now, are your kids Tower Hill ga- uh, kids or, or, or not so much? Are they, are they, they well, like the sled or not so Tower much? Tower Hill's different, Kevin, than when you and I grew up, right? We just shoot down there. We wouldn't even think twice about it. Sometimes it'd just be a rubber uh, tire, right? We just yeah. shoot right down. So, um, you know, my kids have gone down it, but again, we really haven't had snowy, snowy winters, right. and, and thank God, in the last uh, few years. So, uh, you know, my kids do love to, to sled, but it's not like uh, how we used to do it as children, and we just were reckless abandoned down the hills. Those were the times, weren't they? <laughs> so that's why your hip and my hip hurts to these to these days. This is this is very this is definitely very true. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, delve right into uh, some of the things happening uh, as far as the city goes. I, I know that a lot of communities are, are still working with their uh, American Rescue Plan Act monies. How is Brockton doing as far as any of the monies and the projects that are in the pipeline right now? Yeah, well, first of all, so we got two different tranches of the ARPA money. So we got direct, uh, about $34 million directly from the federal government. Congressman Stephen Lynch delivered it. Uh, we had a nice ceremony. And then Brockton being the only city in Plymouth County, our friends in the county have got a tranche. And so Brockton will get about $17, $17.5 million of that as well. Uh, the way that I wanted to use the money was to get the biggest benefit long term. So a lot of projects are in the queue right now with ARPA money. I'm very, very thankful. Uh, the Mary Cruz Kennedy uh, Council on Aging, our senior center downtown uh, on Main Street across from the y- YMCA, to 5,000-square-foot uh, addition. Uh, that's ongoing. They already poured the footings. Um, the War Memorial Building, dedicated to our veterans uh, on West Elm Street, that's uh, over a $4.5 million renovation. We'll be doing a ribbon cutting in, in early February. Uh, never had an air conditioning system, an HVAC system. Uh, so we have an HVAC system. We tightened it all up. Uh, we've really done a great job over there. 
the Cosgrove Pool uh, on the east side of the city of Brockton, which is the beach for many people, really hasn't had any any significant money put into it since it was uh, open. And Cosgrove was the first uh, soldier from Brockton killed in World War II. And so, um, you know, between the opera money uh, and then we were able to get some additional federal omnibus money of $3 million. So, uh, you know, we're going to have about a $6 million project over there. It's reimagined, repurposed, uh, splash parks. It's going to be open for uh, next summer. So it's, it's really going to be a game changer for the boys and girls and community as a whole. Uh, City Hall, uh, we're going to have about a $10 million investment of ARPA money uh, to really tighten up the envelope here at City Hall, replace the slate, original slate roof upstairs as well. And we're having a lot of water issues here at City Hall. And if you've visited City Hall, you know what a beautiful building it is outside architecturally. But inside, it has beautiful artwork and really the, 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 just the, the, the craftsmanship is, is unbelievable, Kevin. So Continuing to spend ARPA money in a beneficial manner. Two million of it uh, was distributed to 43 different uh, organizations in Brockton. Uh, about $50,000 on, on average they were given. and really ran the gamut to uh, community nonprofits that are really creating benefits in the city of Champion. So, you know, the ARPA projects are ongoing. I'm really excited. I'm very thankful for the federal government. I'm really thankful for our friends in the county, uh, led by the county commissioners and, of course, uh, Tom O'Brien, the treasurer. So, you know, it's, it's progress, and it's going to be really long-term benefits here in Brockton. A, a quick side note, and you talk about the City Hall. Do, does Robert Martin still do the tours that he used to do, a gentleman who you know, spent more than three decades of working in City Hall? Does he still do those and talk about the history of, of some of the paintings and the building itself? You know, it's funny. We, we talked about Bob Martin the other day. We want to uh, re-engage him. Uh, it slowed down during COVID, during the pandemic. Mm. I also uh, tape, since I've been mayor for four years, I tape a cable show on our local Brockton community access called Our Brockton. And I interview a lot of people. Um, I'm going to interview Bob so he can talk about the history. And he's just a wealth of knowledge when you talk about yeah. this building. And, you know, the tunnels that used to exist uh, underneath the ground of City Hall that, you know, went uh, downtown to different buildings. So um, he is uh, definitely on our radar. We, we had a meeting with him not too long ago here at City Hall. And uh, he's, he's a guy that really has a lot of knowledge about this building. Again, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Brockton Mayor Robert Sullivan. He is uh, our first guest uh, opening up the, the show a uh, week before Christmas. can't believe a week from today will be uh, Christmas. Kind of staying on the talking about uh, downtown Brockton, I thought I saw something recently that there, there's a, a new project in the downtown corridor uh, that involves the Marion Brothers building and, and that plot of land. Is, am I correct on that? Yeah, so the, the, the Marion's tuxedo and, and, and John Marion and his brother Paul, uh, just really great Brocktonians. And, you know, unfortunately, they're, you know, they're, they're looking to, uh, I mean, fortunately for them, unfortunately for the city, um, that, you know, they're looking to, to sell and kind of go in a different direction. Um, it is a really showcase piece of property downtown in the city of Brockton. So, you know, there's ongoing, uh, efforts to, uh, figure out the best, best, uh, solution there. Um, 121 Main Street is the old Kresge building. It's a brand new build right next door to them, uh, where Brockton Beer is located as an anchor tenant. So, you know, there's really uh, a desire right now with developers, not just in Massachusetts, but really throughout um, the eastern seaboard and, and as far as California to invest in Brockton, right? We have the transit-oriented, you know the whole thing, Kevin. We I have do. three stops on the commuter rail. You get into Boston 35 minutes and jump in your car 30 minutes to get to Providence. So we're, we're really located in an ideal place. So, yeah, Marion's is, is, is a key location. The old Lynch's uh, 
a towing uh, yard down on the south side. We call that Campello. It's just been acquired by Neighborhood Housing Solution. Uh, that literally abuts the uh, the commuter rail down there as well, and that's going to be a, a massive development. So, you know, I was fortunate enough uh, on November 7th to get reelected. I'll be sworn in two weeks from today um, on New Year's Day uh, under our charter. We, we have to meet the first Monday, so it's the holiday, but we'll all be having uh, the oath of office that day. And so I'm going to roll up the sleeves for the next two years and continue to uh, showcase Brockton and really try to get some really wonderful development to come here and uh, make sure the businesses that are here are satisfied with the services that they're owed. Yeah, we got to make sure we have a conversation with the folks over at Brockton Bear. We have to uh, make Sully's Suds, the 50th mayor. I like that. I like that. See see if you can work your magic with them. Great, great, great group of people over there. Really I hear great good things. I hear great things about it, and it's fantastic that you have you know, such a local-eccentric a business like that and that there are other businesses and, and other developers who are looking at the, the downtown corridor. It's, it's fantastic. And, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, uh, uh, when we were growing up and just how the city has evolved over the past, you know, 10 years. And, and it's, it's fantastic that, that, you know, it's, there's new life being breathed into the city, especially the downtown area uh, that, you know, that we've all, you know, known and loved. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's a special place, right? And, again, we're a city, right? So we have over 106,000 people in the city of Brockton. And so, you know, we want to just really attract uh, great businesses and great people. And uh, what makes Brockton so special is the diversity of the city mm-hmm. of champions. And so, you know, we also honor uh, – you have to learn from the past, right? You look at the history. You never forget the history to forge ahead in the future. And so, uh, you know, right around the corner from Marion's is the Liberty Tree. Um, and when I became mayor – um, it was one of my missions to make sure that the city became the owner. We didn't own the Liberty Tree, believe it or not. Hmm. Um, so we were able to do a friendly taking, and the city owns that now. And that's you know a stop on the Underground Railroad. And Frederick Douglass was there, and William Lloyd Garrison were there, and the Women's Suffrage Movement was there. And you know, not too far up the street, um, you know, we're going to be having a new park, marvelous Marvin Hag- Hagler Park, right? And I know you're going to have uh, New York Times bestselling author Dave Wedge, and right. Dave and I went to junior high and high school in BC together, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's really special that he's going to be uh, writing a book on the champ and long overdue. And as a guy from Brockton, he's going to be able to really capture the essence of who Marvelous Marvin was. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to the, the conversation uh, about, uh, you know, how he's going to go about it. And I've seen people, you know, he's kind of shared and, and put out a press release and, you know, and people online going, oh, you can talk about Sugar Ray and... You know, again, you know, Dave will give us a kind of an insight as to, you know, his thought process in writing the book about the champ, you know, one of two champions uh, in the city of champions, uh, of course, Rocky Marciano and marvelous Marvin Hagler. Let's take a quick look. If you would, if you can encapsulate the year that was 2023, what are some of the things that kind of just stick out to you? Some of the things that that you're proud of and some of the things that, you know, you feel that, you know, there's still a story to be told. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, it's it's um, working to make Brockton a better place for all, right? And so I go to work every day at City Hall. I get here probably uh, one of the earliest people to come to City Hall, and you know, it's because I love the city, right? My wife grew up here. I grew up here. We went to high school. We're raising our three kids here. Um, have a great group of support staff at City Hall. I really have a great team led by my chief of staff, Sydney Marrow. Um, and 11 city councilors, right? And I served on the council for 14 years, so we have really great people on the city council. We have seven uh, members of the school committee that, again, I chair as mayor, I chair the school committee. So, you know, it's it's about working together through collaboration, right? We're better together. And so 
the, the, the year, um, I think the year this year has been a lot better than previous years. I, again, I became mayor just six weeks before the pandemic. And so even though COVID is not gone, and I myself personally just had it uh, in November, you know, it's not the doom and gloom that we've had in years past since I've been mayor. So, you know, we're going to continue to showcase, we're going to continue to attract um, talent to the city of Brockton. Um, and, you know, some of the things we, we have to figure out what happened on the school side with that deficit. Right. You know? So we have uh, an audit ongoing and we have an investigation and we have to figure out where were the system failures. So we do corrective actions to uh, make sure it never happens again. And at the same time, you know, we have to make sure that um, the money that's coming in from ARPA, again, as I said, as a summary, that we really get the the best benefit from it. And so, you know, we're going to be doing some things in Brockton, $150,000 window replacement up at DW Golf Course. Now, it's not really uh, great to say 150 grand. It's not that sexy, right? But at the end of the day, it's long overdue, right? And it's a showpiece on Oakland, uh, on, on, on Oak Street. So, um, you know, we have to continue to really understand that Brockton has a lot of amenities. I'm excited that New England Knockouts professional baseball teams coming to Campanelli, and they're coming uh, to be partners with the Brockton Rocks. So, as a guy that loves baseball, we're going to have 80 home games at Campanelli Stadium. That's that's a game changer. It's family friendly. It's entertainment. It's it's outdoors. It's just really a win win. So, you know, there's a lot, uh, Kevin, on the plate. Um, you know, my inaugural speech coming up in a few weeks. I'll you know, be addressing some of the uh, the goals and the desires and the plans, but. Really, at the end of the day, you know, Brockton is um, a special municipality, and we're dealing with issues. We're dealing with, you know, um, some violent acts at times. We're dealing with an increased number of homeless uh, folks, and I'm the mayor of everybody. I'm the mayor of someone that has a house and someone that doesn't have a house. And so we have to have a humanitarian, compassionate approach to help people that are dealing with substance and alcohol abuse. And, you know, the opioid addiction is, is real. It's a tsunami. So social services and wraparound services. And another thing is we have to make sure the Brockton Hospital is operational 100% in the near future. And, you know, the team over there has been working with me every single Monday getting updates. And, you know, Good Sam is, is has some really good plans for behavioral health over there on the other side of the city. So, um, you know, there's a lot on the plate, Kevin. And I really, you know, it's an honor and privilege to be the mayor of the city of Brockton and, you know, going to continue to just do what's right for the city. And, you know, unfortunately, in public service, you can't make everybody happy, right? You just can't. Mm. But the goal is to uh, achieve uh, benefits for the most people you can and to really make a mark that's going to be a long-term impact and, you know, and benefit the City of Champions. Let's close out on the holiday note. Uh, have you have you had a chance to go shop or is just your duties too busy uh, being the, the mayor of 106,000 people? Uh, and what does this what do the Sullivans do? On Christmas Day, is there is there you a Christmas Eve family? Christmas Day, do you travel? Yeah, no. It's it, Christmas is a special time in my family, and I'm fortunate to have my mother and father still with us. They mm-hmm. live in Brockton, and my in laws live in Brockton, and so my my three children, our three children, are just so fortunate to have both sets of grandparents. You know, I, I didn't grow up in that capacity. I never knew my grandfathers. They had passed away before I was born. So to be able to do that, to be able to share uh, the holiday spirit. Uh, you know, I have a, a sister and her family in Con, another sister and her family in, in Situate, a brother that lives in Newtown, Connecticut, and his family. And so, you know, we try to get together as much as possible. And, you know, in terms of shopping, I've done a lot of online shopping, um, but I, I literally just got back recently from uh, D.C. I was able to take my family down to D.C. to see some of the holiday spectaculars down there. And, 
you know, my uh, my children have never been to D.C. before, and it's a special place. So, um, you know, my goal is to, you know, I always say this, it's it's about making memories. It's about uh, making sure that my kids, you know, they don't really care that I'm mayor of the Brockton. They just want me to be a, a good dad and, and supportive. And so, you know, my wife and I understand that, you know, Christmas and New Year's is special, and we try to make it that way. So, again, I just, I hope everybody you know, Hanukkah is already over, but, you know, Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and Christmas and New Year's, I just hope everybody that celebrates does it with their loved ones and has a wonderful, uh, wonderful holiday season. Mayor, I want to thank you for uh, always being uh, available uh, for this radio show to, to talk about what's going on uh, in and around the, the city of Brockton and also kind of, you know, touching upon a personal note here and there like you just did, talking about the holidays with, with the Sullivans. So we, we want to thank you. And definitely wish you all the best uh, for uh, Inauguration Day, which is, again, a big day, starting your, your third term. And I'm sure you're, you're pretty excited to, to get, you know, stay, you know, stay working and, and, and for the betterment of the City of Champions. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's about, right? I mean, when I ask people to vote for me, it's a vote of support and confidence to be their spokesperson. Mm-hmm. And so, again, uh, one, of my, one of my grandmothers uh, immigrated from Ireland, my dad's mom, Anne O'Sullivan, and she would always say, Bobby, roll up the sleeves and get the job done. And that's really a mantra that I continue to try to do. And I'm going to continue to do that going into the next term. And again, I just, uh, I just want to wish everybody, uh, this is a special time, the holiday season. And, you know, maybe we'll have a little white Christmas, maybe not. But again, at the end of the day, um, I'm thankful, Kevin, for what, you know, you do to, to report all around the county and the Commonwealth. And again, the fact that you have me on, uh, it really means something. So, Again, have a wonderful, wonderful holiday season, my friend. You got it. We look forward to having you uh, back on uh, in the new year, 2024. So, uh, again, uh, enjoy your celebration uh, holiday-wise and also uh, being sworn in, and we'll definitely talk soon. Thanks, Kevin. You got it. All right. uh, That's the first segment uh, in the books. We move on. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to speak with uh, best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author, Dave Wedge be joining us on the airwaves in just a few moments. Stay tuned. You're tuned in to Monday Night Talk here at 95.9 WHD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Eat, drink, and socialize at the patio at McWiggins in Whitman Center. Sit down with a specialty cocktail and start your meal off with a patio sampler with chicken wings, egg rolls, potato skins, fried cauliflower, and chicken and biscuits. Watch the game on seven 55-inch monitors while digging into braised short ribs, fish tacos, fig and goat cheese flatbread, or koji steak tips. Relax and listen to the live entertainment at the patio every Friday and Saturday night. And don't forget, McWiggins Pub next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. Monday Night Talk continues all week long. Go to 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk and keep in touch on Facebook and Twitter. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Back for more Monday Night Talk here at 959WATD, and we'll be expecting uh, our guests to join us in a few moments. Uh, again, our guest for the segment will be Dave Wedge. Uh, Dave, uh, of course, uh, we've had him on uh, numerous times to talk about some of the books that he has either written by himself or actually uh, co- books that he has co-written with Casey Sherman. Don't forget, we had uh, we recently had Casey Sherman on. So he had a chance uh, last week to reveal his top uh, authors and his top movies. 
It was very interesting to kind of hear some of his his selections, but uh, it was uh, again good to kind of hear from you know an author, someone who writes you know screenplays and does stuff like that. A quick note: again, we have a, a lot of great folks who who sponsor this radio show. Um, a lot of businesses that advertise here on ninety five nine WATD, and <clears throat> it's worth noting that. Uh, Shopping local is great and helping those businesses, especially around this time of year, knowing what they had to endure going going through COVID. Uh, we're proud to have a Tiny and Sons Glass as a sponsor, as well as McGuigan's Pub slash The Patio. A lot of restaurants didn't necessarily make it out of COVID. A lot of them had to close their doors because, you know, it was difficult to be able to, you know, operate uh, during that time, uh, some folks had a plan. Some folks were able to, you know, make it through. So I know that <clears throat> McGuigan's Pub always offers uh, gift certificates. This is a great time of year. Stop into a local business, somebody who supports local radio, and uh, and get a gift certificate. Best thing to give uh, during the holiday season. All right, joining us now on the phone line uh, as. A, Following on the heels from one Brocktonian to another, we've got the great Dave Wedge, New York Times bestselling author, and uh, swinging for the fences again with his new book regarding marvelous Marvin Hagler, uh, the late uh, middleweight champion of the world. Dave Wedge, welcome back to Monday Night Talk, sir. Talks, how are you, sir? Yeah, how so? I have to say, is this what? Have you always wanted to write this book, and it's just this was just the time to start putting pen to paper? Yeah, pretty much. So, first of all, it's my my friend, the mayor. Uh, hello, mayor. Thank you for all you do for the city. Um, but yeah, I mean, Kevin, honestly, like this is as I've written. You know, this is a story I was born to tell. Um, I've always wanted to write a story about Hagler, and I started about probably 10 years ago. I was thinking about doing like a documentary when he was alive, and I tried talking to him about writing his like, you know, authorized biography, but he just didn't want anything to do with it. It it just wasn't what he wanted, you know what I mean? So uh, as I've gone on in my career, you know, I've I've written now eight books, and this is going to be my ninth, and... uh, I just thought about it and I said, you know what? Like it's now or never. Like this is this is um this is the story that I was born to tell. You know, Marvin Hagler is you know you know obviously my you know my my you know hometown hero, but he's also, in my opinion, I think he I call him the accidental civil rights hero. Mm. Like he, he never really wanted the attention. He didn't want to talk politics. He didn't like to talk to the media at all, really. And, um, but I found this kind of sneaky way into the story with the Alan Minter fight, you know, and and anyone that knows Hagler's career knows the Minter fight, you know, he was, uh, you know, denied his title shot for years and years and years. And working with the Petronelli brothers, you know, who were, you know, kind of nobodies in the business, to be honest with you. You know, no one knew who they were. And, you know, they weren't, you know, Customato. They weren't Angelo Dundee, you know. And, uh, you know, Don King and and Bob Arum didn't care about the Petronelli brothers. And 
they have this fighter Marvin, who's literally beating up the entire middleweight division, but no one gave him a shot. So finally he gets a shot, and who's it against? It's against Alan Minter, a white supremacist. Uh, you know, the, the white national front is behind him. So that's kind of the story I'm going to tell. I don't want to get into too much of it now, Kevin, because yep. I don't want to give it all away for free. But, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest with you. Like, you know, you and I go way back, Kevin, and, like, I have always wanted to write a Hagler book. But it's, it's, it's more than a, a sports bio. It's, it's, it's a story of a guy who, like, overcame so much, you know, escaping the riots in Newark. Yep. Uh, you know, overcoming the corruption in the in the boxing industry during the seventies and eighties and even nineties, and um, you know, winning this fight that is really the, the most uh, racially charged fight that's ever happened in boxing history. So I'm I'm, I'm really excited about it, Kevin. Uh, I, I, it was a great announcement this week, and I can't wait to you know put pen to paper. I, I, I expect to finish writing it by. You know, end of the summer, and it'll come out in early 2025. And I'm going to have a huge release party in in Brockton to celebrate this. You know, guy who you know made us all who we are, and that, and that's the truth, Kevin. I, see, I, I see Hagler as you, you. You had two boxing champions in the city of Brockton. I, I feel Rocky Mastiano was the generation before's champion. I feel that Hagler was kind of like our champion. He was our generation. This is a Gen X story, for sure. And my phone has been ringing off the hook with people our age and and even, you know, older and younger. But, uh, you know, Hagler provided the link between Rocky and our generation. Right. And then, you know, our generation and below, you know, there there were some others, but no one like like Marvin and and Rocky. And, you know, they, they were literally the two greatest boxers of their era, each of them, and by default, the great two of the greatest boxes of all time. I mean, if you make a list of the top ten boxes of all time, Rocky and Marvin are in there, along with you know, in my opinion, Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, uh, you know, and a few others. But those two guys belong right in there. No one was more feared than Marvin. No one was more feared than Rocky. And they they won all their big fights, and they you know they carried that city, that blue collar city, on their shoulders, and that's a big part of what I'm writing here. Is like you know, Brockton made me who I am, mm. made you who you are, Kevin. Right. You know, like you you are who you are because of Brockton, because of the environment you grew up in. That environment is different because of Marvin and Rocky, and I, as a Brocktonian, want to pay tribute to that. That's why I'm writing this book. It's a beautiful story, and I'm so excited to share it. I believe it's a movie, and I'm working on some stuff with that already. So it's uh, it's going to be a, quite a ride. And I, I thank you for your, your your support. Well, what's interesting is that you know that this this spring coming up in 2024, aren't they going to be dedicating a park to Marvin? And there's also going to be a statue, right? Yeah, so, the, you know, the timing is good. Uh, you know, as you know, I do a lot of work with Matt Sullivan. Uh, we were classmates at Brockton High. He's one of my best friends. I love him. He's doing a great job for the city. The city's changing every day. And, uh, you know, one of the things when he first got elected right before COVID, and you know, 2019, he takes office in 2020, all of a sudden we get hit with a global pandemic. I said, Bob, don't worry about the pandemic. We'll, we'll get through that. But we have to focus on, you know, honoring the, the, the heroes that, that made this city what it is. Mm. 
And we agreed, let's build a Marvin Hagler Park. And it needs to go right down there by Petronelli Gym. And there's now, you know, the great uh, developer, Ted Carmen, who you probably had on, I'm sure, uh, is building a beautiful, uh, well, one of his buildings is already done, the Petronelli. It's the old Petronelli Gym. He turned that into 19 beautiful condos. Right next door, there's a new building going up with like 40 units. And there's a park going in there. And there's going to be a Marvin Hagler statue, Marvin Hagler Park. And, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate Marvin, you know. And when he passed away, Kevin, you know this, you were there. Uh, we did a big memorial down at uh, Rocky Marciano Stadium. We said, you know, let's have it at Rocky Marciano Stadium because, you know, that that's the, the epicenter of, of the Brockton boxing community. Yep. And it was, it was a perfect day. Tommy Hearn showed up. Sugar Ray Leonard sent a video in. Uh, you know, Stephen A. Smith was there. Al Bernstein was there. The great Ron Borges, boxing owner, one of the greatest boxing writers of all time, was there. If George Kimmel were alive, he would have been there. So that's the kind of stuff we're talking about, and that's why I'm writing this story. So, so you're the the people that you have to interview has to be. I mean, you you have to have a who's who list of people that Marvin, you know, either either fought or maybe other trainers from the era. I mean, I, I can only imagine some of the people that you're going to, you know, some of his family members who might want to kind of give yeah. you some of the inside to Marvin himself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm going to talk, listen, my phone line's open, and, uh, you know, to anyone out there listening, if you love Marvin Hagler and you have a great Hagler story, find me on social media, find me on Facebook, Instagram. I'd love to talk to you. But I am telling a story here, Kevin, and right. it's a very specific story. You know, it's not... Again, it's not, you know, the Marvin Hagler bio where I'm going to talk about every fight, and give you know, this and that. It's a very specific story of him getting out of Newark, coming to Brockton, fighting the corruption in the boxing industry, and getting his title shot against a racist, Alan Minter, and winning that fight. It's a very tight story. It's a great story. And it's a movie. And that's what I'm doing. And, um, you know, so in answer to your question, though, yes, I'm going to be talking to lots of people uh, I've had a lot of contact with the Hagler family. Um, I have uh, already interviewed Bob Arum for the, for the book. Ooh. And I'm going to be inter- interviewing a lot of people. I'm going to try to interview Don King. Um, and I'm going to be interviewing, you know, a lot of folks that were uh, in the in the mix with Marvin and his, uh, and his folks and also in the industry during that era. Again, if you're just tuning in, we're privileged to be speaking with... Uh... <laughs> The great Dave Wedge, New York Times bestselling author, talking with us about uh, his new project, his new book project regarding a marvelous Marvin Hagler. How, let's let's kind of segue and talk a little bit about what, what are some of the other things that you're working on right now or some of the things that you have in works or even just kind of remind folks that some of the books that you've written, great, you know, stocking stuffers if they wanted to grab one. I appreciate that, Kevin. So, you know, my latest book was uh, Riding with Evil. It's a it's a book about the only uh, police officer to ever infiltrate the Pagans motorcycle gang. And, you know, it's a great story. We have it in development for a movie right now. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited about that one. And, you know, we, it just came out actually in Finland. I don't know if you saw that, but, you know, it's now going international. It's a great story. Um you know, Casey and I obviously, we were, you know, we wrote Hunting Whitey, which is a, a Whitey Bulger book, which was kind of the last book written about Whitey Bulger and goes into, you know, how he was captured and what happened to him in prison and how he was murdered. And we just adapted that into a stage show, 
and uh, you know your, your listeners are very familiar with Casey. I mean, he's a you know in another New York Times best-selling author. He wrote The Finest Hours, and uh, you know we wrote Patriots Day together. So Casey and I are you know so busy together, uh, so busy separate. Um, you know, I think you know generally, I think people go and just Google my name, go on Amazon, look at my books. I've written books about Tom Brady, Whitey Bulger, uh, the Boston Marathon. You know, Pete Frady's The Ice Bucket Challenge, as we've talked about. Right, and, right. you know, my next one is now Marvin Hagler. And, uh, you know, as I said, Kevin, it sounds corny, but this is truly a story I was born to tell. I'm very excited about it. I think it's going to be my best work to date. So that's where I'm at, buddy. Can I, uh, can I, can I, t- can I scratch your, uh, your sports itch? Talk to me a little bit about, you know, you wrote a book. No and- way. No way. Come on. <laughs> Of course, buddy. Of uh, course, anything. You, uh, I was I, hoping you were going to say. I was hoping you were going to say heavy metal, but that's okay. But- <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was gonna. I could ask you about Sammy Hagar and and Joe Satriani going out on tour to do Van Halen tunes, uh, but I don't think you're a big Van Halen guy. I'm not a big Van Halen guy, but if I am a big Van Halen guy, it's not a Sammy Hagar. Guy, it's a David Lee Roth guy, but yeah, we di- we digress. So, so, I, so my original question to you was about sports. I mean, again, knowing that you wrote a book about Tom Brady, and we're watching what's happening with the New England Patriots right now. I mean, are you are you a, a reg- are you a fan of you know football and, and the New England Patriots, or have you? I mean, what are your thoughts on this? What's going on down in Foxborough? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I started going to the Patriots when I was five years old with my dad at, uh, you know, the old Foxborough Stadium, oh, yeah. Schaefer Stadium, and um, I saw some of the worst teams ever, but I will say this team is right up there with the worst teams I've ever seen in Foxborough. Um, you know, I do think that, uh, you know, Bailey Zappi is a much better quarterback than Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is, is a really bad quarterback. I think he's... Might be the worst quarterback I've ever seen in Patriots history. Wow. And that's that's sad to say, but he's he's just really just not good. He makes terrible decisions, bad throws. But uh, you know, I love I love that um you know, Bailey Zappi's out there competing. I like the running backs, I like the uh you know, the defense is actually really good, but I think at the end of the day, Kevin, this is a lost season. Um, I don't think they should be quote unquote tanking to get the top pick because I don't think that Belichick will do the best thing with that pick. I think they should just play the season out, win games they can win, land where they land, and then we, you know, deal with the draft when it comes. And hopefully Belichick turns that draft pick into uh, at least one, if not two or three or four great players because they need a lot of help. The team is in a, it's a real mess. Lizzie, your guy who is who is written for you know uh, numerous newspapers, and you know what's, when there's a hot story going, everybody wants to kind of give their angle. Right now, the angle is is you know is Tom is is Bill Belichick going to be done at the end of the year? Are they going to let him go? Or even it's been refuted that oh nope, they're going to wait till the end of the season and then make a decision. Does Bill Belichick is is he the coach in 2024? Or do you think that he's done, that they part ways between the Crafts and, and Bill Belichick? Well, I mean, I, I would, myself personally, I'd like to see him back because I think that there's not a better coach in football than I Bill agree. Belichick, even though what everyone says, like, yeah, it's been a terrible season, but, you know, the, you know, the, the, what is it? The coach is the sum of its parts, that sort of thing. But um, if it's, best for the team and best for Bill Belichick to move on, then I'm fine with that. 
I don't think that uh, Kraft is, you know, going to fire him, quote-unquote. I think it'll be a, a matter of, you know, Belichick moving on, going somewhere else for a better opportunity. I, I, I really hope that doesn't happen because I don't think he'll have a lot of success. And I would like to see him, you know, finish out his career with the Patriots. Um, you know, I don't think there's a lot of promise for the Patriots right now, and but that's not the issue. It's like, you know, you won six rings here. You know, mm. you won, you went to nine straight AFC Championship games. Nine straight. Yeah, Kevin, that that is. I mean, I've heard of people have to people have to stop and think about that once in a while mm. and understand. Like that is absolutely unheard of. It's never going to happen again. Like no one will ever go to nine straight AFC Championship games. It just will never happen. So I think we give the guy his due. That's my opinion. Let him go. You know, if he wants to on his own terms, but I would say try to keep him. Again, we're speaking with uh, Dave Wedge, a best, uh, New York Times bestselling author. Uh, as I ask you the last question here, and that is, is um, you ready for the holidays? And what is Dave Wedge and the family doing for Christmas? So thank you for that, Kevin. First of all, I wish all you and all your listeners a happy holidays, and I hope that... Uh, you know, you do some fun stuff. Go to get some uh, some nice pizza in Whitman over at um, <laughs> what's the what's what's the place that we talked about? Uh, uh, McGuigan's. McGuigan's. Get some night. Get a nice pie at McGuigan's. Go over to um, you know, obviously I say the Cape Cod Cafe. Sure. I would say you know get over to Linwood and some of the local places. Get you know buy local. But me and my family will be you know we'll be local. We'll be in Brockton and uh. You know, spending time with family and, and just trying to enjoy the holidays and celebrate, you know, being alive, you know. So, and, and I'll be honestly, Kevin, I'm, I'm, I'm already in, you know, I'm in the writing process on this book. I'm very excited about it. As I said, you know, it, not to be corny, but it is. It's the book I was, short, I was born to tell. Right. The, the book I was born to write. So I'm taking that responsibility seriously. I'm going to write hard. I'm going to be writing a lot. And I'm going to really, really uh, work hard to, you know, honor Marvin the right way. Well, I, I can't wait to read it, and um, we'll stay in touch as to uh, your other projects as well. So we want to wish you and uh, Jessica and, and the rest of your family, Danielle and, and Jackson, uh, a fantastic holiday season, and we'll talk soon. I wish you the same, Kevin, and thanks for ATD and all you guys do. Keep it up. You got it. There he is, Dave Wedge uh, joining us. Uh, we're going to just qu- quick, quickly tease as we got uh, our next guest. Our seven o'clock guest is here, Dr. Tom Hickey. He's the superintendent director of, uh, well, there's two, a couple of names, South Shore Technical High School, South Shore Regional Vocational Technical High School. <laughs> it's a mouthful, but South Shore, I believe South Shore Technical is the way to go these days, right? South Shore Tech, we answer to all of them, Kevin. Thanks for having me on tonight. I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, to, uh, thank you for coming in because, I mean, look at the weather outside. It's Unbelie- horrific. Unbelievable. Um, and knowing that it's, we've been talking all day, I guess, uh, all all day on the radio is Hanover. It's been, it's been quite tough. Well, how's the school been holding up? We we happened to luck out on this particular storm. We we the lights flickered a bit, but we didn't lose power. But a good chunk of the town did. So I'm looking forward to our conversation talking about uh, this project, where things stand for the nine communities that send students to South Shore Technical. Absolutely. Um, let's let's first off, you actually let's tease this now. 
you actually have something coming up this week in one of the communities, do you not? Do you have a, is it this week or is it going to be coming up? Do you have a, a forum coming up soon? We had a, we had a forum in Whitman last week. Yeah, we had a we had a forum in Whitman last week, and our intention is to take uh, really the next calendar year and bring this conversation to our communities. It's it's an important one, one that we've waited for for a long time, but it's complicated because construction costs are very high. Mm. So we have to explain to uh, residents in our district uh, what we're trying to do. Why is it important? And, uh, and and get into the weeds when people want to. And so bringing the conversation to the communities is the way to do it, early and often. So the idea of, of the next half hour, we're going we're to take a break in just a moment, is we're going to speak with Tom as to the genesis of the project, uh, how it has evolved, where it's at, and, of course, where the, the next set of conversations might be happening. So we're going to do that in just a few moments. You are tuned in to Monday Night Talk right here on... 95.9 WATD. Stay tuned. we got another hour still to go here on WATD. Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi, on 95.9 WATD. This storm will be studied by meteorologists for some time to come, multifaceted in nature and ferocious with squall lines producing localized wind gusts to 90 miles per hour at the Blue Hill Observatory. Augusta in Boston logged to 68 miles per hour. And, of course, the rainfall an issue is, well, one to three inches of rain recorded across our region. There are still some flood warnings that will be in effect on Tuesday for places like the Charles River. There was even more rain logged west of Boston into the Berkshires and certainly into northern New England dealing with some serious flooding issues. As we end the Tuesday across our area, ample sunshine and opportunity for the cleanup crews to take care of the downed trees, power lines, and limbs. The high temperature, 45 to 50, with a bit of a fresh southwesterly breeze. For your Tuesday night, it's mainly clear. Temperatures will be dropping back into the low 30s. Wednesday's mostly sunny, a little bit cooler, the high temperature near 40 with a north wind. Thursday's mostly sunny as well, with high temperatures in the low 40s. For WATD, I'm meteorologist Josh Nichols. Located in downtown Whitman, McWiggins Pub is a fashionable upscale Irish sports pub with a lively bar and dining room. 
with all the class of a Boston pub. McGuigan serves a great pub menu featuring favorites like beer-battered fried pickles, Reuben sandwiches, shepherd's pie, bangers and mash, and meatloaf. And of course, they have Guinness on tap. McGuigan's is a great place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. With eight flat-screen TVs, you'll always find yourself in the center of the action of your favorite team. And don't forget the patio at McGuigan's right next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. I love Christmas. I was never happier than watching my boys open up their gifts. Hey, Eddie, remember? Oh, man, I'll never forget that steel wire vice grip combo. My favorite was the snap-on torque wrench with that new torque wrench smell. Hey, and the Milwaukee power gun. And the Excalibur extractor. That was awesome. The favorite's got to be the high-suction, low-pressure glass buddy. Merry Christmas to all. And a clear windshield. Yes, sir. Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. Hour number two is before you here. Later this hour, we have Christy Orio, a defense attorney. Uh, also, he's a law professor, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Karen Reed case. As there's been uh, new developments, and uh, we had previously had a conversation with him about it, and so we're kind of going to follow the path of, of this case, the homicide case against Karen Reed. This is, it's drawn a lot of interest. Also, going to talk with him about he's running his fourth uh, Boston Marathon. Man in his mid-50s, but he's got a mission Stay tuned. You can uh, tune in as uh, we talk with him about that. But we turn our focus back to Dr. Tom Hickey with uh, South Shore Tech and talking about uh, their uh, proposed building project, which they're, they're looking to hopefully, with the blessings of uh, the nine communities in their, their district, to hopefully build a new school. That's right, Kevin. We are, we've waited a long time to even be able to have these conversations. Mm. Uh, we've applied to the MSBA for several years, probably starting around, oh, you must have covered some of our meetings. I did. It was the annual January, nope, not this year. Yep. <laughs> that was probably five or six years. So we were fortunate in 2022 to get invited. And anyone that's followed school building projects knows that it's a, you're talking marathons later tonight. This is a marathon of sorts, right? It is. Yep. And uh, we're, we're happy to say that we've, we've started off strong, formed a project team, we begin to look at some initial some initial designs and enrollments. Uh, twenty twenty four. We've got several really important homework assignments to complete. We're going to get some cost estimates, uh, reliable cost estimates in a month or so. Then we'll narrow down the pro- our building committee will look and and select a preferred design and a preferred enrollment. Uh, if we are fortunate to meet these milestones, we'll be in front of the school building authority in the summer. And if they approve it, then we'll go to our voters in all nine communities, uh, probably in January of 2025. But along the way, we've got to make the case for what is vocational education in Massachusetts at this time in in, in 2023 and beyond? How valuable is it? Uh, Do our communities want it? And what kind of school are we looking to build that will, if done, be a 50-year investment? So we've got to get it right. I have to say, and I'm going to say this, this is just... Me talking, and I have covered these meetings as, as Tom. Tom is probably one of the most thorough guys that I have ever listened to. When I when he does a presentation, 
zero budget. You know, that was the first thing that that caught my eyes. Like when we're not building off of last year's budget, zero. You start at zero and you build your budget before you bring it to me. That's what he would tell his the, the different right. uh, departments and. And same thing with this. I, I remember that there was a conversation with this that it was maybe going to build a new edition to what you had. And I might say, is this the 19, 1962 edition? Yes. the we're, pretty go- gosh darn kept up. You know, it's not something that um, you've done a great job. The, the school is itself. But, you know, you only can you can only keep it for so long because you're going to have to bring that up to code. If, if in fact, you try to repair all that is wrong with it. Yes? That's right, Kevin. And I, I, appreciate, uh, I appreciate the compliment on how the building looks. Our, our, our maintenance staff, our vocational teachers over the years, the students themselves have all contributed yes. to extending the useful life of this building. You know, the, we're the second oldest regional vocational school in Massachusetts. We're very proud of it. And uh, we we want to do well, not just for the future building, but for the kids that are in front of us right now. And I, I think we're doing the best we can. You raise an important point. Uh, the School Building Authority requires that when you go down this path, uh, you're expected to look at multiple options. You should be deliberate. You should, you should get in the weeds. You should ask, uh, a building committee should be asking tough questions. To renovate an existing building takes on costs, as you might expect, mm-hmm. that would, uh, that would, there are two things. It's, there are some hidden costs that you, that you become aware of as you learn more about this process, and that not every dollar, not every construction dollar that gets spent is potentially eligible for reimbursement. And that's the, I don't call that the fine print, but that is really the name of the game. What's an eligible cost? So I'll give you a quick example. Any school district that has to use modular classrooms in order to still educate kids while there's construction going on on the property the expenses of modular classrooms are not eligible for reimbursement. So at first I thought, an addition renovation, why not start there? The building's got good bones. And now we're starting to see what a lot of other districts have seen, and, and I certainly can, can attest to it, that to renovate a building is at least as expensive or perhaps even more expensive. Our 1962 building is not sprinkled. That's two-thirds of our whole footprint. How much longer would we be able to go with that? Right. So, so for us, we're looking at we're looking at all of these options right now. I, I can, when we get the chance, I'll, I can. It's, it's uh, I'll do the best I can, uh, you know, over, over the airwaves here to talk about some of the the design options. But it's an exciting opportunity. We're looking at what we can do to renovate what we have, and also perhaps something new. And you've been to our campus enough to know that we don't have a sprawling campus. It's a pretty tight footprint mm-hmm. from the, from Webster Street to to our ball fields in the back. And that's where we're spending our energy now, how to make strategic decisions for what will come next. So where where are you right now? How many different designs right. are you looking at? And and what, do you, what have you been hearing for feedback from the folks in the district? Sure. So the designs that we're looking at, and <clears throat> I mentioned about the ad reno. So if folks familiar with our school, uh, this this particular model would have us tear down a portion of the 1962 building and build a an L-shaped front of at least three stories. Uh, we're looking to increase the enrollment because we have a, we've had, a, quite honestly, an annual waiting list that we've just not been able to address the demand. Mm. So whatever you hear me talk about with design, it's we're no longer going to be the sprawling 130,000-square-foot ranch <laughs> with no stairs anywhere. <laughs> we're going to have to go up. We're going, we're going to have to go up. But that's the, so that's an ad reno option where a lot of our school would look the same and we would, and we would add in the front. 
But our new designs, we're, we're looking at two options. They're actually quite similar. Uh, so first, we would build this on the ball fields in the back of the school. Oh. It would be a three-story building. We would have a first floor that is uh, all of, uh, almost all of our vocational technical programs. As you can imagine, can't have automotive shop on no. the second floor, right? Yeah. Okay, so the, you, know, you don't have to be an architect to know that one. <laughs> and so it's, th- there's a very practical, simple approach we're trying to take here. Uh, a simple center hallway. The, honestly, if you looked at these designs on our website, uh, southshoretechproject.com, you would see the only difference is where we place the gymnasium and the dining commons. We're either going to place it in the center of the school and have the wings come off with our shops on the first floor, or we're going to place it at one end. And I think there are, there are, there are definitely some positives to both approach, uh, approaches. You know that we're a school that doesn't shut at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Right adult education, and then the typical high school experience with athletics. So we're looking at this model as something that's going to be efficient for an adult ed program as well as with the students during the day. The second and third floors of this new design would largely resemble what you would see in almost any other high school with science labs and classrooms. And we have a few vocational programs that don't require a high ceiling or specialized ventilation. and that's, and that's really where we are right now. We're looking at these designs, and we also need to look at the site itself. What fields can we put on the campus, and where can we put them? But the other, the other exciting part to, to this design, whatever we choose, is that our intention is to add two brand-new programs that we, think are, that we think follow strong regional labor market demand, mm-hmm. and that is a standalone plumbing program, one wow. that we – yes, plumbing is something that – for the 30 years that I've been at the school as a teacher and administrator, uh, that's probably one of the most common questions that we get. So to be able to establish a plumbing program and break ground on a new skilled trade is very exciting, very exciting. And we believe, uh, like I said, with a, with a robust application pool and a waiting list that, that we would fill that. And we're also looking to address an area of bringing in uh, a program that you might normally find at ang- in an agricultural school, and that's veterinary science. Mm. So we're seeing, if you imagine a first floor where we have <coughs> a center entrance, we have our salon, we have our restaurant, we have our veterinary science program, all front-facing on the first floor. I can see, I, I, as, as the building committee looks at these designs and provides feedback, uh, people, people are very excited. The, fee- the feedback that we're getting is vocational education is in its... It's, in a, it's, in a, it's having a renaissance moment, right? The college for all model is not accurate. It hasn't been, yeah. right? And people also believe in the false choice of if you go to a vocation. They, they no longer believe that a vocational school means that's it. No family wants any limits put on their kids. So students come to our school. They're definitely going to be trained for the workforce. They're definitely going to get industry credentials. They're probably going to go out on co-op in their senior year. I've got a senior class of 155 kids. Over 100 are not coming to school because they're on co-op. They're going to work. We've had local employers take them on. That's exactly what we'd want to see in the culmination of a four-year vocational technical experience and with a building that will be more secure, yeah. safer, up to code, and be able to address some of the, of the excess demand. Uh, I think that all of that's trending, that, that trends in the right direction. The feedback we get is that vocational education is a viable, uh, a viable educational pathway for, for, our, for our teenagers, and uh, we want to make sure that it's there for the next 50 years. So what will, you know, you talk about the, the two new uh, programs that you would add. 
what would be, if you're building a new school, what will be some of the attributes that some of these other programs have, whether it's uh, electrical, sure. auto body, um, <laughs> culinary, which, you know, the Brass Lantern, let's yeah. not forget. What are some of the things that, that are going to be new and fantastic for these programs oh. if this school is built? Yeah, you've got to limit me on this. you got to shut me off, Kevin, because <laughs> I can go on and on. But let me start with some basics. Please. Right? We talk about safety and security. How about just how about just proper light? How about how about enough space? How about the fact that we don't want to deny kids to come into the building? We want to continue to take in numbers, but our co-op program uh, is is a critical component. But I just want their shops to be big enough so that we can accommodate and not need to always have kids that might be working just outside the shop footprint. Mm. Uh, that's critically important. I want our shops, the, the bread and butter of our school are our shop settings. They must, they must have enough space for adequate storage, a dedicated classroom, dedicated student bathrooms. And, and that, that, that's, some, that's not educational, but we're managing a school. Yeah. And we want to have all of what those kids need. Because they spend a whole week in shop, as you know, Kevin, and then they go to an academic setting. So the brand new stuff, actually, I'm seeing some of it already because we've been so successful with state grants that we're getting the latest manufacturing equipment, we're getting the latest construction equipment, and we will be able to migrate all of that over to whatever we get to do next. Our culinary and carpentry programs are currently being renovated right now. We've got some new equipment there. So for me, better security, more space, more space for the kids. Even if we didn't add another kid, the environment that they're in they need more space. I would like to have an automotive program where I could have two students working on every lift, right. not four, because the educational experience is certainly different when you don't have as many kids on the same project. These are small examples, but we're very excited because we can see the future, and it's going to benefit those students. So so the, the current footprint is uh, uh, 660-plus kids right now? Yeah, 670, sure. 670, okay. Yeah, good <laughs> and, job. And so... And so and the number that you're you're aiming for to be able to accommodate will be we're going to we're studying 805 and 900 805 was the original number that uh, it was one of the it was within the range of what the MSBA wanted us to study mm. they asked us to study between 645 and 975 students and the committee has begun to look at removing the extreme ends of that 975 probably the most expensive option without even having to do much analysis and also highly unlikely that it would be sustainable on our site. And the lower enrollments would not even begin to address the, the extra demand. And as you mentioned, nine communities at the, be at, at the beginning of the program, uh, we're very excited to have the town of Marshfield as part of our district. Uh, we're already, uh, we're, we're, kids from Marshfield have applied. They're going to be admitted very soon, that first round of ninth graders. And uh, they'll officially be a member as, as of July 1st. So a nine-town district, and uh, we know that the demand is, is strong in our region. We, are, we see ourselves as wanting to be a workforce development provider to the kids. Our main mission is teenagers, the high school-age kids. But if folks are going to invest in us, then we are here to invest in the larger community. Um, and I, I say this because we have a lot of partners out there with our workforce development boards we want to be seen as a resource to support other residents who are looking to add skills to their toolkit. If you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Dr. Tom Hickey. He is the superintendent director of South Shore Tech, and we're talking about uh, a, a proposed new building. 
So, you know, how much is the MSBA, the Mass School Building Authority, how much are, have they have they are giving you given a percentage as to what they will put towards this? Could that change? And then the second part of that question is how much will this go out? You know, what will be the amount that the district will have to pick up? Yeah, one of the one of the most important things, whether it's early or in the middle or at the end of the process, is let's talk about the money because we can talk about vision, we can talk about importance, but we can only build the best vocational school that our residents can afford. Mm. The MSBA has asked us to study these enrollments, and we've got some initial estimates that are not actually based on the designs. Right. Right now, we're being told that our actual reimbursement would be about 30%. And that's based on an inflated number. Okay. So I hope that you'd be willing to have me back, Kevin, at the end of January. No problem. Because while some folks are counting the days to Christmas, I'm counting to about January 15th, which is when I'm told my, my project team says, we're going to have those revised estimates because I need them to come down to earth <laughs> so that we can talk about real numbers. So when I say come down to earth, I mean this team is going to look at the designs we want and they're going to price them out. We need to, if we're going to decide with 805 or 900, mm. we need to actually see what the cost comparison is. The The reimbursement rate will improve when the overall price tag drops. That's just, that's just the math. Uh, what we'll then have to take a closer look at is how much of what we want is not eligible for reimbursement and start making some smart decisions. We don't need over. We don't need over-the-top uh, accessories to this building. We've got to invest in the vocational areas. We're a high school, teenagers. We need to develop a school community. I think we can do it with a few basic, uh, a few basic ideas. And I think the theme that runs through this school is the space we use has got to be multi-purpose. Let us not build anything that only has that has underutilized function right. functionality like. Uh, a cafeteria that's segregated, no, let's have a dining commons area that could be used for our credit for life fair, that could be used for our advisory committees, that could be used for a night school, that would be adjacent to where our athletic programs are. Let's have a multi-purpose auditorium that doesn't just get used a few times a year, but let's use it where it has retractable seats and we can, we can use it for multiple curriculum initiatives that can't be done in a classroom or a shop. These are the kinds of elements that when we can get these designs out on the street in more detail, People will, people will see that. But the, it begins and ends with space for our vocational areas. And when we do that right, everything else, I think, will fall into place. Let's, let's talk about, you, you mentioned Whitman. You know, what has it been like to, to meet with residents who, are, who have prospective students who will go to South Shore Technical? Um, and how are you planning for future forums like to, like you did in Whitman. Sure, it's uh, folks in Whitman were great in 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 uh, letting us use their select boardroom. Uh, it was a wonderful turnout, and we had some great feedback. The messaging is, we love what you do. Keep an eye on the bottom line, mm. and and make sure that you don't deviate from that. Uh, they uh, Whitman is like any other community whose residents want kids to have strong public school sure. options and and pathways. My intention is to do continued outreach in all of our communities. So uh, I did some uh, some situate local uh, cable uh, the week prior. I will have folks from Cohasset come in, and I'm currently making plans right now with uh, with Hanson and with Abington. This is not a one and done. This is let's let's find multiple ways of communicating. We can communicate on a website. 
you know, sometimes project websites are great if you're looking for something or you just want to fish around right. here. But otherwise, <clears throat> they, they can almost be, it can almost be too much information. We've got to continue to engage with our, with our residents because we're kind of like the visiting team. Right, we 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 have uh, we have a we have deep roots in a lot of our communities, but we don't occupy the biggest part of an operating budget. But this is going to this is a big number, mm. and even when you split it amongst eight or nine or nine communities, it is something that we want to make sure that we are sending a message that we're absolutely aware of the impact of this. We think it's a worthwhile investment, but talk is cheap, and let's wait until we see the numbers, and let's wait until we see the designs. We've got a year to work on this. We've got a year to go from where you and I are talking now to getting some estimates, refining the designs, and then going out and continuously seeking feedback. But uh, I would say that our staff, the parents of you know, current active students, certainly are very, are, are, are very supportive of the work that, of, that we're doing. They also want to know, by the way, Kevin, that the kids that are going to be in the school, because if, if you were to ask me about timelines, this is something that probably would not come to fruition. If, if we stick to our plan, maybe 2028, where you, you come in and, and, and cover a ribbon cutting. <laughs> so, so it feels like a thousand years from now. It's not. It'll, fa- it'll it, approach very fast. It will approach very fast. So we've, so we, we've, got, we've got good work ahead of us. Um, we got to wrap this up, unfortunately. That's it's okay. A, but is there something, is there an essential piece of information that we haven't put forth but you feel that we at least, at least right now we're putting a pin in this conversation. We're promising that we're going to have a conversation at the end of January to continue. Thank you. The, you know, providing updates. What is that piece of information you want to kind of leave with our listeners? Southshoretechproject.com. That is where we house all of our information on upcoming meetings, documents, if anyone wants to do a look back or a look forward. The other essential thing, Kevin, if you don't mind, I'll, if you indulge me on this to end, to end with, is I want to say thank you to Bob Mola, who, since 1977, Ooh. and up until this past October, was Norwell's representative to our regional school committee. He had, he had to step down. We miss him. Uh, but I will say Bob, Bob knows every brick in the building that we currently have. And, uh, he, Not an understatement. He, he really does. He's right. And... Boy, he represented Norwell quite well, and so uh, we all we all wish him well. And I certainly I certainly think about Bob as we move forward making these decisions uh, for what's going to come next for South Shore Tech. Yeah, yeah, you know you get so many champions on that school committee. We do, you know, who who see the value in what South Shore Tech does, and to knowing that you know what that the trades these days there's there's not enough tradesmen, and it's it's schools like South Shore Tech. That's going to educate them and make them ready to go out in the field. That's our plan. That's the plan. So here's what we're going to do. So we, we've got to promise here that we're going to have you back in end of January. End of January, I'll be able to talk to you about what did the what did the team come back with for revised estimates? What do the numbers look like? And what, what direction is the school building committee headed? Which design did we pick? Which enrollment number did we pick? That's our homework assignment due by the end of January. You have yourself a Merry Christmas. You as well, And Kevin. we'll talk to you in the new year. Thank you. We're going to step aside when we come back. The final segment of Bunny Night Talk. No, serious. Here on 95.9 WATD. Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Invest your time in listening to Cape Retirement Radio and learn a smarter approach to investing so you can protect your future. Cape Retirement Radio. 
featuring Chris Latton Thursday nights at 6.15 and Sunday mornings at 10 on 95.9 WATD. Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion is back this week with a very special guest. Tune in to 95.9 WATD at 8 p.m. Wednesday night as Governor Mara Healy joins the show. Host Steve Nearman discusses the issues facing the inclusive community with Governor Healy, as well as Senator Susan Moran and other legislators. It's Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by the Great Blizz Inclusive Hockey, Wednesday night at 8 on 95.9 WATD. Download previous episodes of Monday Night Talk and listen to them anywhere. Check out 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. And we return for the final segment of Monday Night Talk. You know what I say. Usually, I, you save the best for last. So I don't know why I'm here. <laughs> the voice you just heard. Uh, he is uh, our legal mind here. He's one of the uh, uh, few attorneys that we have on here that we trust, and they help us pontificate, uh, you know, get a better understanding of things, whether it's what the Supreme Court is doing. Maybe there might be some kind of a law matter that's going on. Um, but also, our guest is here to talk a little bit about uh, embarking on a fourth run of the Boston Marathon. I'm talking about none other than Mr. Chris DiOrio, who is a valued guest. He's worn many different hats. He's also, I think probably early on, he was a, a Dom's dime kind of a guy as he was here with his son, Dominic, talking about uh, the entrepreneurial spirit of this young man wanting to give back his young son at that time, I think nine, 10 years old. And so it's kind of continued. And so he's been here. How are you doing, my friend? Are you ready for the holiday season? I, as well as I can be and as ready as I can be, as ready as anybody can be. You know, in this time, uh, I do, as, as many people do, I turn all responsibility over to my wife because she's much smarter and much better at it. Um, so hopefully you folks out there have folks in your lives that you can turn these things over to so you can have some modicum of sanity. So, so the thought, I thought the reason, a, a great reason to have you in was twofold. Uh, the first, the ongoing saga of the Karen Reed case, uh, folks who who don't, and I'll, I'll put it I'll put it simply, uh, this is a woman who was dropping her significant other off at I believe a, a gathering, and uh, allegedly it's being alleged that she hit him with her vehicle, drove off to leave him to die, only to be found uh, deceased. And there is now uh, conflicting reports. The defense has been able to find um, issues with some of the the findings. Uh, It's, I guess, at this point where they're saying that this might have been something that was kind of an inside job with the folks who were in the house. Um, So that's what we have, Chris, here is kind of where things stand right now. Uh, The latest development, I believe, is that the Department of Justice is somehow going to be involved with this, that the... Uh, Suffolk County, I think it's Suffolk County District Attorney Mike Morrissey has sent the letter, which is sealed. And I know the press is trying to get a, get a look at that. But these are the latest developments in something that normally you don't you don't hear this much going on with a case. If it's you know it's kind of 
an open and shut case. And as a matter of fact, we've, we've got, you know, we've got all the proof. We've got a video camera seeing her do this. Da, 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 da. Um, how much of this, this case as, as a, a defense attorney, someone who, you know, this is what you do. You have a legal practice. Yeah. You look at it. What do you say? And not also, and I'm underselling this also, you're also someone who also, um, works with young individuals who do trial court proceedings. Yep. How does how does this been, been playing a role with you? What, what you know, what you're seeing right now is is a, what many defense attorneys will do or hope they can do uh, is have the ability with a particular kind of uh, of client uh, to be able to offer something other than the narrative that's being offered by the government. Um, you have this situation where you have a, uh, and, and I, I apologize for, for heading down this road, but you have an attractive female defendant, educated, um, well-employed, financially secure, uh, who has the ability to retain counsel that can, you know, for want of a better term, manipulate the media as necessary um, to f- offer forth this other narrative. The whole goal um, when you are operating as a criminal defense attorney is to create, if there is, if it exists, reasonable doubt. When I teach my students, um, I tell them, "You're not found innocent. There's no such. You know, you're you're innocent until proven guilty. But um, when you are in front of a jury, the verdict is either guilty or not guilty. Not guilty simply means that the prosecution was unable to prove their case." Because the prosecution has the burden of proof throughout the entire case to prove every element beyond a reasonable doubt. So the goal for any defense attorney in these situations is to find where reasonable doubt may live. And then if it's a small hole, make it wider. If it's a little bit of smoke, make it a fire. Do what you have to do to draw, you know, it, sleight of hand magicians will you know, have their right hand flying over in one direction and trying to get you to look over here while they're manipulating with the left. It's very similar to what any good criminal defense attorney would do. And in this particular case, they have a perfect storm of a, a good client with you know, a good story. And now the ability or, or the, the blessing or luck of having enough people out there that are latching on to the defense uh, and creating this, it's going to be very difficult to select a jury locally that hasn't heard something about the case. And once the case is in front of the jury, it may be even more difficult for the prosecution in this case to find reason to, to, to be able to meet their burden uh, in this because the, the, the defense is, for want of a better term, compelling. It's 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 an interesting story, and they don't. The defense doesn't have to prove anything. It's up to the prosecution to prove things. So, if the defense can offer enough different directions for a juror to go, then there's a tremendous possibility that this case either winds up as a as a mistrial or as a straight not guilty. Because if they can't find beyond a reasonable doubt that she did what they're saying she did. Um, and they have added a number of other charges, lesser included charges, that they might be able to get. Um, but it's going to be very difficult for the prosecution in this case. It, bottom line, I think that they've done a tremendous job on the defense uh, of creating uh, the, the, the illusion uh, that they need to create. Why would there be? Why would the Department of Justice need to be involved with a case like this unless there's 
unless there's more going on than meets the eye and then what's being reported in the media. Sometimes the DOJ or you know even the, the state attorney general's office would find themselves getting involved just to quell any issues of you know illicit goings on. If, as you saw in the most recent, I believe, the town meeting in, in, in Canton, uh, voted to have an outside entity come in and and review their police practices. Um, this is a community generated effort, but honestly, if the police department has no issues here, they should welcome it. You know, any you know, they shouldn't have an issue being audited by somebody from the outside or having their their practices reviewed. Same thing with the DOJ coming in. If they're coming in, there there might be issues. And if that's the case, then, there should, you know, if, if a, a good law enforcement you know, community uh, has nothing to hide, they should not have a problem. I, I know I'm sounding like one of those folks who say that, you know, well, you know, if you, why are you remaining silent? If you wanted to profess your innocence, you should go ahead and speak. Different story here. This is a government entity and they're charged with, you know, maintaining the peace. They're charged with, you know, the whole protect and serve aspect of things. So they should not have an issue then with somebody from the government coming in to make sure that they're doing it right. Because if they're doing it wrong, then everybody suffers. Is this, will this particular case be harder to try here locally? Is there, oh, do you think that it could be a thought to move this out from the jurisdiction because of the, the media attention that it has received? And let's not forget, and I, I don't want to give it any more, any more attention than it deserves, but mm. you also had a member of the media, or they, I'm using air quotes Quote here, unquote. air quotes, a uh, member of the media who, you know, is somehow involved in this and trying to play a role in this. Mm-hmm. Is this, would this be in the, the best interest of everybody if this is something that is, is tried elsewhere? Defense doesn't want it moved. You know, it's I, so smart to be, to keep I, it here. I, you know, and, and, you know, even so, if you, where would you go? You, you know, the, the reach of this story, because it's in the Boston Globe, because it's in the Boston Herald, the reach of this story takes it you know, beyond local and takes it national. It's, it's why, again, why is the DOJ involved? Because this is something that you're, if you, you know, look up, if you, if you Googled Karen Reed, you're going to find stories from all over the country. If the first bylines are going to be from the Globe and the Herald, obviously, and from local you know, news sources, but... You're going to see Topeka, Kansas. I, I did it this morning at six o'clock after I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I went and, and, and put Karen Reed case into my you know Google machine, and you know I saw you know Tacoma, Washington, Topeka, Kansas, a number of different Fox outlets uh, from from all you know Fox twenty, Fox thirty nine, Fox five in New York. Um, where are you going to go? You know, the, the, the this case is more than just a local matter at this point now, uh, and frankly, moving it would cause more attention. Uh, and it would then, you know, now all of a sudden you're just taking the circus and putting, you know, pitching the tent somewhere else. Um, as a defense attorney, I want it to stay exactly where it is. If you're just tuning in, we are speaking with uh, Mr. Chris DiOrio. Uh He is, I call him uh, one of our, our legal minds that we have here who comes in from time to time and, and shares his, his wealth of knowledge on the legal system, uh, his worldly experiences, and, and then some. Because he's somebody who, again, he's not only somebody who is a defense attorney, but he's also somebody who is, he's a teacher. He's somebody who is regularly, regularly teaching courses and working with some of our, our younger individuals to kind of get them to kind of see things in, a, in you know, properly. Um, 
as I think you and I before uh, during the during the break, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, you working with a, um, you know, a, a local a local school and their trial court. I mean, what's that like working with them? And do you do you use a Karen Reed case as as kind of a, a way to say, what would you do? How would you handle this if you with a defense attorney, or if you were prosecution, how would you have handled this? Yeah, when I work with, uh, it's something called the Saturday course. It's uh, connected to Milton Academy, um, but it's not just, it's not Milton Academy students. It is students from all over the South Shore and up into uh, Boston. Uh, Students come down from, uh, from from Boston and Dorchester schools, we're, we're you know busing kids in now. Three hundred students every session, five sessions a year, um, and I've been there for eleven years. The program has been running for I believe this is year forty six uh, of the the program. It has a number of different courses. Um, I'm just one, but I teach trial court and trial advocacy along with civil rights. And and it's important getting kids um, from fourth to eighth grade, which is where we're we're teaching. Um, and getting them to understand how the system works because and I'm going to show my age here. We're not teaching these things in school anymore. Gosh, darn it. And you know, the, you've got, you know, kids that, you know, you've got MCAS teaching, you know, the, the, the math stuff and science and, and, you know, basic literacy and things of that nature, but we're not learning how government works. And the number of these kids who come in and have no idea what the Bill of Rights is or what it says, what the Constitution is and how it works and, and its foundational nature. Um, but this goes beyond fourth, eighth grade. This I, I've asked these questions of college students, and frankly, I've asked them, you know, talked to adults at cocktail parties about these things, and they have no earthly clue what these things mean. Teaching this stuff, teaching about how trials work and how you get to that point is tremendously important. You don't throw the rule book out when you get the new game. This is the rule book. You have to understand what this is and getting them young so that they can at least start forming their own opinions and questioning things as they go forward. That's the very essence of education. It's not what you know, but figuring out what you don't know and then going to find the answers. You know, folks will come up to me in, you know, in, in public or uh, private parties or whatever, and they'll ask me a question about the law. And I'll say, I don't know. And their response, how don't you know? You're a lawyer. Aren't you supposed to know these things? And I tell them, I learned two things in law school. I learned some of the, I learned the law, but I also learned how to find the answers when I don't know what the answer is. And to realize, as you know, Aristotle said years ago, wisdom is knowing what you don't know. Um, and then it becomes incumbent upon you, if you want to be educated, to go out and find the answer. So that's what we do. I, I feel that I feel that today's society, and, and I don't know if I'm, I'm painting this with a broad stroke, but the art of reverse engineering something is is a lost art. It's something that folks, if they, I work with so many people, and I'm blessed to work with some really um, intelligent people. But some people that I that I've come across in my lifetime, where if they can't get to the first time around, they throw their hands up in frustration. Right. And then we'll, you know, move on to something else without trying to solve the problem. Sure. You know, X sure. equals. What is that? Mm-hmm. It, it's you know, we have lost a little bit of that ability. Again, it's because it's not something that we teach in most of our common educational uh, entities of problem solving. Um, when I deal with my own children, you know. I don't. I, I tell them from my eldest who's twenty-two to my youngest who's four. I'm the stupidest man in the world because you know, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, having t- older children and then having more. Um, 
but they're all intelligent. But what I try to tell them is this, you know, when it's raining, don't complain about the rain, find an umbrella or build a shelter. You know, don't complain about problems and then walk away from the problem. Try to solve the problem. Don't be someone who's complaining about issues. Try to be someone who solves the issues or tries to figure out what's going on and, and figuring out how to get past all of this so that it helps more people uh, as opposed to just, you know, the, the great line from uh, the, the movie The American President. You know, it, it, you know, these people have only two things. They, you know, they're making you scared of it and telling you who's to blame for it. But they're not offering solutions. Be the person who's out there offering solutions. And if you teach kids that young enough so that they try to become problem solvers, they'll do it. And we're losing that. Probably the final uh, thing I'll ask you in regards to the Karen Reed case. So, so where do we go now? What, what, are we, what are we waiting for now? How closely have you followed this? What's the next thing that we're waiting for? We had a recent uh, decision from the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court. Um, the defense filed a motion to have access to cell phone records. Um, stating, you know, in their affidavit, in their motion, stating that uh, on one of the individual's phones, I believe it was Jennifer McCabe, uh, they were able to make the allegation that there was something on her phone at 2.30 a.m. on the night in question um, that, in essence, it was a Google search, how long before someone dies in the snow? Or, you know, and so now they wanted to have phone access to, to folks that were in the house. The owner of the home, I believe Brian Albert is his name, uh, and Jennifer McCabe. Uh, and the defense filed that motion. It was denied uh, at the superior court level uh, to have access to that cell phone information. And they went, they appealed it to the SJC. Uh, and the SJC said that, you would, that they would be allowed, the defense, to access cell phone records from Jennifer McCabe's phone, but not the other phones, the phone of the owner, et cetera. Uh, they deemed that to be a phishing expedition, but specifically because there was apparently communication back and forth between Karen Reed and Jennifer McCabe on the night in question, they allowed them to get access to, the, to those cell phone records. There may be something there. If something comes up, trust me, the defense will say it because they want to get as much of this information out there as they can for a variety of reasons, to create that, to create the cloud of reasonable doubt, and also, honestly, to start affecting more jurors, potential jurors. It, as you were, you were explaining that, it was reminiscent of our a previous conversation we had in another case that is uh, pretty uh, relevant here on the South Shore, the, the Brian Walsh case, uh, the d- disappearance and the murder of Anna Walsh's wife. Correct. Uh, and we had talked about that because he had done a Google search on his child's iPad and it was that so uh, not no we're not delving into that we're not diving into that but it was just it was something that just popped up in my head and I want to yeah folks don't realize that uh, these these things are out there you know the, your search is never really deleted nope you know in, in fact uh, and I've taught this to my students um, when you have an iPhone anything any message that you have that's blue. Not, it, photographic, text, whatever it is, most times you can get records that there was a message sent back and forth at a particular time at a particular place. Any blue message that you send back and forth is retained in servers in Cupertino and elsewhere for six months. And that's part of an agreement that most of these companies have with the government. If we're going to allow you to do these things, then you're going to retain this information for us. And when you you know, click I accept whenever you get one of those uh, alerts on your phone that you have to have an update, the recent iOS 17.2, 
nobody reads those things. And part of it is you're allowing them to turn over information to the government if they ask. So nothing is, uh, nothing is, is, uh, is gone and the internet is written in ink. I.e. read the fine print. Please. <laughs> let's uh, let's segue away uh, from that. Again, we're speaking with Chris DiOrio, uh, again, uh, uh, defense attorney uh, here talking about Karen Reed, but also uh, individual who has um, he has put his body on the line to for 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 a great cause. And he's doing it yet again for the fo- fine folks over at the MGH fourth Boston Marathon. I tip my cap. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the decision to say <laughs> I, I, again. You know what I, I mean? To me, you are you are my hero for somebody who you know what you are willing to put in these hours. You're willing to share this information, and you're also doing it because you know that there there are individuals who are in need. Because you, you know what, it's life or death. When you when you sign up to run for a charity, and, and I am not like a a qualified runner. My, I'm, I'm not finishing the marathon in, in three hours or three and a half hours. I'm one of those folks at the back of the pack that finishes in six or six and a half hours, sometimes seven hours, depends. Um, but you get it done, and the miles are no different. And you know, folks will ask you when you apply for a charity uh, bib with any marathon, you know, what's your why? Why are you doing this? And, and so people ask, why are you running for, for Mass General Hospital's Pediatric Cancer Clinic? And my answer is, why wouldn't I? You know, if, if you are a parent, if you are a person who has children in your lives, healthy children, if you, you know, if you have any kids, imagine just put their face on one of these you know, because cancer is indiscriminate. Cancer doesn't matter. It doesn't they, they don't care if you're poor. They don't care if you're rich. They don't care if you're old. They don't care if you're young. They, you know, there are kids in this unit that are, you know, younger than 12 months old with with you know, and the, it's one thing to you know, contract this hideous scourge of a disease and it may be related in some way to your lifestyle. Maybe you're smoked two packs a day. Maybe, you know, maybe you're a firefighter and you were exposed to the, again, it's not, this is not you being responsible for it, but you are, you know, it's something that because of what you do in your life, this thing occurs. These kids have done nothing. They, they, these aren't lifestyle cancers. These are just indiscriminate tumors and growths and things, you know, brain issues. And it, it, it's just and, – and these kids go through this treatment with smiles on their faces, which is just amazing to watch. And their parents having to suffer through it. And the old day, no parent should bury a child. And these parents are going through this on a day-to-day basis. So when I'm strapping up at 4.30 a.m. to get my miles in and when I'm running the hills – you know, and you know, it's week two of training, week two of twenty weeks, and when I'm strapping the shoes on and running up the hills for for two and a half miles, what I'm thinking about at that point when it hurts, and when the breath is hard to come by, what I'm thinking about is this that I'm feeling right now is infinitesimally small compared to the pain and suffering that these kids are going through and that their families are going through. That's why I do it. It's, it's not heroic. This is something that everybody should be doing because everybody has a kid in their life that they would be absolutely over the moon, you know, just, just completely battered if something like this happened to a child within you. And it doesn't just change, it, it doesn't just change your lifestyle, but again, not knowing 
what is going to happen is will they be able to find a cure? Will they be able to extend this child's life yeah. is it's paramount. Yeah. It, it, you know, the, the folks that, that benefit from this, this is, you know, child life therapists that are you know helping these kids while they're in treatment, mm-hmm. if they're in residence or if they're not in residence at, at the unit, um, helping their, their families to be able to have some respite, helping these kids, uh, you know, have, have access to things that will keep their minds off what's going on in chemo and what's going on in radiation. It's, it's all of this that these kids are getting um, and the money that's going towards research uh, right now, you know, the, the overall, over all cancers being treated at Mass General for pediatric cancers, they have an 87% success rate. And on some cancers, it's even higher. And this is leaps and bounds from where we were 10, 15, 20, 20 years ago. You know, I knew kids when I was, you know, uh, growing up. If the, if the kid got leukemia, that kid was gone. Mm. It, and, it, you know, we now, as far as, you know, child leukemias and AL, you know, ALS and, and AMLS and things of that nature, these kids have an 88 to 93% cure rate after 10 years. They're still going after they're being treated. There are kids who are not kids now, adults who are running in the marathon as part of our team who were treated at Mass General Pediatric Cancer Clinic 10, 15 years ago that are now running marathons. That's where we are. That's what the money's for, and that's why you do it. Do you set Do you set a goal, do, or how How does the the process go in regards to raising money? If you're a charity runner, with you know, it used to be with. Uh, um, John Hancock is the primary sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, now Bank, uh, Bank of America has taken over the sponsorship of the marathon, the primary sponsor. And if you're running as a charity runner, each charity bib, the, the number that you wear on your shirt, each charity bib has a certain amount of money that they have to raise. The minimum for any charity runner uh, running through you know these entities is $5,000. Um, but many of the hospital charities ask for more. So Mass General, the, the bare minimum that you're running for is seven thousand five hundred dollars, um, but we have folks on our team that have you know we we've we're two weeks into training and they've already raised ten fifteen thousand um, dollars. But you set a goal, and you, you have to work towards that goal because you're responsible for that number. Uh, I've been very fortunate uh, over the the past few years to be able to uh, raise ex- exceeding amounts you know more money than I need to. Um, but more money than the last year. So uh, last year, you know, with a $7,500 uh, minimum, I was able to raise $14,900. Uh, and our team as a, as a unit with 130 runners uh, raised $1.8 million. Uh, we're looking to set our goal at 1.9. My goal, again, is to get, you know, just like Jerry Luce used to do with the $1 more than the previous year. Uh, and, you know, give me a temp! Um, and... And do that. So I, I'll, I'll do the drum rolls and, and hopefully get a little bit more than last year. Damn you. I was going to use that analogy, too. Damn you. <laughs> Damn you. We, um, we're, we're similar folks. Um, so so as we're going to wrap yeah. up here, uh, yep. come to the, I want to have you back in probably late January, maybe early February, just to get a progress sure. report on how things sure. are going. But if folks are tuning into this right now, and they're like, oh, I want to help. Yep. Can you want to give out any information so they can yeah. do so? Right now, there's the the... the the charity fundraising tool that all Boston Marathon charity runners have to use is something called Given Gain 
dot com g i v e n g a i n dot com uh, and if you type that in uh, and then put uh, p c diorio d i o r i o or chris diorio d i o same as a lot um, you'll find me uh, and that's where my fundraising arm is and and uh, anybody who donates fifty dollars or more gets uh, one of my uh, Whitman Cookie Mama's uh, tremendous unicorn cookie samplers um, for this year. That's our initial fundraising thing, and we have uh, we have uh, concert tickets coming up to be uh, sweepstakes off for uh, for Pink and for the Rolling Stones. So that's nice. another way to uh, get folks to put funds in. So we gotta gotta raise that money. So any way we can. Well, I, I want to thank you for sharing your great legal mind and your insight on uh, this, this uh, Karen Reed case, and also uh, talking a little bit about your dedication towards, uh, uh, towards this cause uh, and looking forward to having you back in. Kevin, thank you very much for having me. As you, always. Got you are the Dean of South Shore Broadcasters. May you have a uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I look forward to seeing you in the new year, my friend. To you and yours. All right. Uh, we're, that's, that's all the time that they have a lot of this. I'm sorry. I'd like to go longer, but I can't. So until next week at... 6.15 p.m. And of course, it's going to be Christmas. It's going to be Christmas Day. We're going to have a show. Uh, you've been tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. Have a good night.